came a little bit early for me. I mean, the Cowboys won, and uh, uh-huh. there, there's an outside chance that the Cowboys may make the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, if the year of 2020 is anything, I mean, man, all we need to do is win next week, this coming week. We need the, you know, the Eagles to beat Washington. And okay. then after that, we're in. And all and to win the Super Bowl, all we're going to have to do is beat Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and Patrick Mahomes. And... There we go. We're the Super Bowl yeah. champs, man. <laughs> we have a better chance of you and I personally getting through the gladiator gauntlet. You know what I mean? There's no way. And honestly, man, at this point, winning games to me feels like a detriment more than a help. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's people out there who feel like, hey, we just need to get into the playoffs and we're going to make some noise. Um, I don't feel that way. I'm um, not I've, one of those one. I'm not one of those individuals. Right. Like it seems like okay, we blow out or beat really bad teams. You know what I mean? When it comes to the good teams, or even not even the good teams, the teams who are just like in the middle of the of the pack. You know, we don't play very well. No, I agree. I think. I mean, with when Dak went down and the way the season, it'd be different if we started off all right after Dak went down. But it's a, it's a waste of a season, so might as well salvage it by getting a good draft pick. Right. I mean, that's the way I see it, and let Dak re- recover, give him his contract. Uh, I, what I wish would happen is they dump a Zeke or get rid of him, and but nobody's gonna buy him or pick him up off and take him off our our plate. But well, so that's why I wanted a lower or a higher draft pick, right? Yeah, because I would like to take that high draft pick and couple it with maybe. Zeke or Cooper, either yeah. one, and see if we can get a serviceable or not a serviceable, obviously a starting safety or secondary player, and also get a later round, later in the first round, even pick. second, third round pick could be good. Well, I would, yeah. I would want additional picks as well, but yeah. I would like to have a later. So you know, yeah. essentially going back in the first round and also getting a veteran that we can put in the starting secondary yeah. or to start in the secondary and, and to help us there, which is one of our big time weaknesses. Yeah. And then hopefully use that draft pick to then, if we get a secondary player, hopefully a safety to then draft, you know, either double up on a position where maybe we're strong at, you know, where we're perceived to be strong at or go and get an offensive lineman. I was about to say that. that. I was, I was literally going to say, yeah. The, the well, I guess what I was trying to get can, at was. We can get, we can, yeah, because we got to start rebuilding. And there's some major pieces that we need to fill, like you said, that are secondary. 
O-line is two of the things that we need to, I mean, even if you pay Dak and he he's back there, what good is he if he's getting sacked every other play? I mean, right. But I agree. I mean, I think we should, back of a better term, tank the season and go for a high draft pick. And that would be my preferred method as well. And when I, I want to go ahead and clarify, when I mean like double up on a position, like they were good, like maybe perceived to have a lot of depth that I'm thinking of like maybe getting another linebacker. Like if there's like an elite linebacker out there that we would kind of draft in the teams. Like in other words, maybe going after the best available player versus maybe getting an old lineman, which I think we really need. Right? Yeah. Sort of like CD Lamb, like right. when he fell in, our, in the Cowboys' laps, I mean – yeah, they probably weren't going to look at him because they probably didn't think that he'd actually fall to them. Right. But when he's sitting there, you, you got to take you, Yeah, yeah. You and I, th- I, I think they learned their lesson after Randy Moss. And they look back to that and they're like, Jerry, you know, Jerry was like, I'm not making that mistake again. Right. And you know what? CD, he got a lot of PT this year. He well, was pretty decent. Well, obviously, there's a reason why I'm advocating to trade Cooper, and and large part yeah. of it is because he, when you see him play, mm-hmm. you compare him to the other receivers. There's a talent gap. Yeah, like he, Cooper is better. Like to me, Gallup to me is a lot like Cooper. Like they're very similar in their skill set, and so it's like, hey, uh, Gallup, do you want to see where you're going to be in a couple of years? Just look at Cooper. That's that's who you're going to be in a couple of years. And, you know, do you need two of the same kind of receiver in reality? No. Right? And CD is more versatile. He can do all kind of things. You can run all kind of plays with him. Now, granted, as he matures, you're not going to want to run all these kind of wacky plays. Like You're still going to run, you know, reverses, and you'll do screens with him. Obviously, those are going to be because he's such an athletic and explosive player. Um, but what I'm talking about is, like, you know, maybe having him in the Wildcat or maybe – you know, running yeah. him as a running back, stuff like that. Like, that's okay as a, as a rookie, but as he gets more mature, you know, he's his route tree is going to get bigger. And, you know, in other words, he's gonna, he should be getting most of the passing targets. Yeah, not only that, too. He's just going to get stronger and bigger, too. I mean, he's real yes. young. Yes, yes, yes. So, so um, I we'll see, man. You know, as far as Zeke, I personally think that, you know, maybe this isn't a popular opinion. I don't know what anybody else's opinion is on this. This is how I think. I personally think the running game is better when Pollard is the running back. You know, if you ask me, I think Pollard should be the starter and Zeke should be the backup. Zeke, to me, all season has looked like he's running in mud. Like, he looks slow. He looks like, if I was going to do a comparison, like, as far as roles, to me, Pollard looks like the explosive every down back. Because you can pass it, throw it to him in yeah. the in the pass, you know, in passing, and you he can run the ball and either through the tackles or out the lane, whatever. I feel like Zeke, you you really can't run him outside. Like he's, that's a, a he's gimme. Gonna be, he's gonna be in between the tackles. That's it. In between the tackles, right? Sort so of like wear down your wear down the defense, right. like Change three, three, eight, three, two, or Pollard. He can bust one and he can take it to the house. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel and like I feel like the offense is more him. versatile with Pollard as the running back versus Zeke. And I know everybody's gonna be like, "What? You know, Zeke is really good." I was like, "Look, man, them them carries will wear you down." And Zeke has been ran a lot throughout his career. That's why for me, when they were like, "Hey, this guy wants an extension," I was like, "No, he can go ahead and sit out." Because the one thing about running back is that if you give them a lot of carries early on, they wear down fast, and yeah. so. For me, if I was the general manager of an NFL team, I would be drafting a running back within the first three rounds every year. 
Because I want my stable of running backs to be young, and I want them to be healthy. Because if any of them goes down, guess what? I got two or three other young, healthy backs ready to go. Now, yeah, you're gonna, you're granted, you got to deal with potential mistakes. But to be honest, a lot of these college game, uh, uh, college teams are playing their offenses as far as the running backs more similarly to their roles in the NFL. And what I mean by that is running backs in the NFL don't just run the ball anymore, at least the ones that are, like, highly effective. Yeah. You know, you essentially have to be a do-it-all player. Now, where they kind of struggle in the NFL is, you know, offensive pass protection. But, you know, they'll, they'll learn that. You know, there's a lot of veterans that don't aren't very good at that still. You know, like I was thinking about the other day, like Frank Gore is with, um, I think it's Emmett Smith and somebody else as far as 16,000 rushing yards. It's only him, Emmett Smith and somebody else that I can't think of right now. And I'm thinking like, wow, man, this guy's been on how many teams? I don't think I have enough fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I know the Niners, the Bills, the Jets, the the Dolphins. The San Antonio Gunslingers. Was he on the San Antonio Gunslingers? What other teams has he been on? I mean, that's already a lot. That's four teams right there. I may be missing some teams. Um, you know, if you guys know the other teams that Gore has been on, by all means, let me know. But for a person to have, you know, that type of stat production, it's like, how does he get, how does he, he give the, out of the teams, let him go? You know? Yeah. And apparently that's how it is, but you know. Yeah. Uh, so, man, how do you feel about the Spurs right now? They're playing, and apparently Pop just got ejected. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about them. I'm optimistic about them. Um, I don't know what's going on with the Fox Sports and uh, Southwest because I don't know. I can't catch any games on there, right. and I was seeing on Twitter as well. Also, if you want to send out any comments or anything hit us up at the the barrio fishbowl on twitter but i I was seeing something that there's i guess maybe uh maybe contract or tv or something like that because i was seeing a lot of uh, people were having issues getting the game but what i've seen online and kept up and with readings and their stat lines i mean i'm happy with their production the way the the team is going right they just look young and they look hungry and they look like they're gonna take that next step they don't look afraid of any team. You know, like usually when you see young teams, like yeah. sometimes they look like they're they're going to make errors. or And that's not to say that this team isn't, but they don't seem to – they seem a lot mature. Right. Um, they seem they, hungry. Yeah. They they don't look like they're scared of anybody, which I like. And they're yeah. young and athletic. And so I think, I think it's actually going to benefit the Spurs with the season going long. With last year, I mean, when did it end? Like two months ago, a month ago, or something like that. <laughs> I think in October. Yeah, yeah. October is late September. Yeah, and it being a turnaround, I mean, I think this is going to play to their advantage because right. those teams didn't. I mean, LeBron and them, they didn't get any time to rest. They're right back at it. Right. So, how about you? I mean, what do you think about how well, you feeling about? Well, the talking team? about the whole Fox Sports things, I've heard a lot of people, you know, kind of talking about that. And number one, I know that if you have League Pass. You live in San Antonio, you won't be able to see any of the games through League Pass. Like, they black out any local games through League Pass. And as far as um, some of the games, well, first of all, we have no games on national television. You know that? <laughs> no, zero. Spurs get zero games. 
You're thinking yeah. like, damn, like shouldn't every team get at least one game on national TV? I, I guess not. You know, I guess it's a dog eat dog world for TNT. And they're like, nah, man, some of these teams are garbage. We don't want to put them on TV. <laughs> but I mean, in that sense, to me, it shows what they don't know about our team. You know, and, and yeah. granted, we have a lot of young players and that are kind of unknown. And so for a lot of these companies like TNT and ESPN, they don't want to show our team because they don't have anybody that can really market like. They're going to say, oh, DeMar DeRozan, you know, that guy that's still in the league. <laughs> you know, you and I know that he's freaking awesome. He's freaking doing fantastic, phenomenal this year. He's been phenomenal. But, that, I mean, I, I knew he this year he was going to do well because of how he gelled so well with the team, the young players, during the uh, bubble. My only question mark, or my biggest question mark was, you know, A, how much was Pop going to play Patty and Rudy? And B, the biggest one, how was LA gonna fit with all this? And yeah. so, so far, I've liked what I've seen. Now today, it looked like the team was down by ten when I last looked. It was like fifty four forty three. Pop just got ejected, and you know that that doesn't mean anything. This this team has shown that so far in the beginning of the season, it's resilient. You know, being down double digits doesn't really mean anything to them. I mean, they have a lot of scores. They have a lot of talent and a lot of scores. And so being down 10 is not really a bad deal. The only problem yeah. is, and this is, I think I might have mentioned this last time we spoke, is you're playing against LeBron and AD. And we're all a bunch of young rookie, to their mind of the refs, essentially. Yeah. Rookie players. The calls, how they're going to go. You know. You breathe on me, I'm going to the free throw line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Already in the beginning of the season, KJ, who has relentlessly been attacking the basket, has gotten no love from the refs. I think in the in our loss against the Hornets, there was a huge free throw disparity. Spurs shot eight out of eight from the free throw line. I want to say, and you know, don't quote me on this. I'm kind of trying to remember. I want to say it was 21 out of 29 for the Pelicans. So 29 to eight. Um, that's a fairly large, you know, free throw disparity, especially when I know. A lot of our players attack the basket. Like a lot of our players make a concerted effort to attack the basket. So how's it that we only got eight free throws? So, but overall, man, I love our team. I think we're very versatile, um, not only on the offensive end, but especially on the defensive end. Yeah. Um, again, the, the biggest question mark on both sides of the ball is Lamarcus Aldridge. You know, how's he going to fit on the offense? Um, and I think that's going to be the easier part for him to fit. It's going to be mainly how's he going to fit on the defense because. You know, when you're playing that many wing players together, you know, he has we have to really rely on him to be that anchor on the defensive end. And so that's where I prefer to have Pirtle, but you know, we'll see. You know, we'll see. So far Aldridge hasn't been bad, you know. Um, but you know, we'll continue to see how he develops. Uh I'm really excited about Vassell. Um I know it's early in the season and he kinda had he's a little bit shell shocked about what's going on. Um, but I think as the season progresses, we're gonna see another weapon off the bench. And I hope that he ends up eating Patty and Rudy's minutes. You know, I like Patty a lot. I like Rudy a lot, but at this I mean, stage in their career, nobody can wave that towel like Patty, bro. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> but at this stage of, the, of their careers, man, I, I think that it's time for them to kind of cede more of their minutes to the younger players, you know, because yeah. And even Patty had, what was it? I think two, 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 three games ago, he had a really good game. Well, he did. He did. He had a really, really good game. And and that's going to happen. And that's fine. Yeah. You know, when they have a hot hand, you know, you ride him. Um, but that's and, how he is, you know. Right. But, but at some point, I hope that Vassell's a more consistent hot hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, and gets that, that PT so he can develop. All right, Dom. So... 
before we jump into our topic, I have some fun facts, some New Year's Eve fun facts here. So, first one is there's a song called Long Player by Jim Finder that takes a thousand years to play. I don't even know how you write a song that takes a thousand years to play, but apparently it takes a thousand years to play this song. I heard he did it in 10 minutes. Did he? No, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't doubt if it was something absurd like that. Um, but it takes a thousand years to play, and after it's done playing in the year 2999, it will reset. And apparently this song is done by singing bowls. So, pretty ridiculous. Um, fun fact number two. I got several this week. Fun fact number two. American Samoa uh, is one of the last places to ring in the new year. So, if you ever ask that question, like, gee, I wonder what's the last place that rings in the new year, right? You know, it's not, because you know New York rings it in before we do, and so on. We ring it in before L.A. does. So, it's like, what's the last one? So, America Samoa is the last place that rings in the new year. Oh, that's, that's cool. Who's the first? Man, you can't ask me these questions. Honestly, I, I don't know. I, I, I would imagine I would it had it. to be somewhere on the East Coast. I had to like be China, China or Japan. One of those. Like they say, this this rising sun. Right. Exactly. Rises in the east, sets in the west. Right. right. Yeah. And so probably one of those countries. Um, here's another my mm-hmm. another fun fact. Uh, the reason January is called January is after the Latin word Yanwa. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's I A N U A. Which means door. And so the name is supposed to represent or symbolize the opening of a new door. So, another fun fact. And my final fun fact. Just a little good luck, bad luck items to to kind of, I guess, run across, don't run across. So, for the good luck items, according to Italians, wearing red underwear on uh, the night of the New Year, New Year's Eve, um, is good luck. Uh, According to Spaniards... Eating grapes, 12 grapes in the first 12 seconds brings you good luck for the rest of the year. Damn, that's you, that means you're eating grapes pretty quick or are you just jamming 12 in your mouth real fast? No, I think you have to do it. Like maybe have, I'm assuming you have to do it one at a time. Yeah, yeah you, real, real fast. <laughs> you, know what's, you know what's funny? I was just thinking like, I was going to say, how many people died? And I guess they weren't that lucky, man. <laughs> the grape went down the wrong pipe. and. <laughs> Oh, so morbid. And then uh, some uh, additional good luck food to have. So if you're thinking about, geez, how can I, what what kind of meal should I make for my New Year's Eve party? If you That party that you're not supposed to have if you live in the States. Um, here's some good luck meals that you can have. Pork and black eyed peas. Black eyed peas are a very popular yeah. New Year's Eve meal. And the reason why for pork is pork fat is supposed to represent wealth. And wealth doesn't necessarily have to mean monetarily. It could mean whatever you want, you know, whatever you deem to be wealthy for that following year. You know, you eat the pork, you're supposed to bring you wealth. And then black-eyed peas, um, they're supposed to bring you good fortune because when you cook them, they swell. And so the swelling is supposed to represent, like, the, I guess the blossoming of good fortune to you. So those are two good luck items that you can have to eat. Yeah. Now, as far as bad luck, lobster... And chicken, I was surprised. You know, lobster. I was. I would imagine lobster is very popular, especially on New Year's Eve. But apparently, lobster because its ability to move backwards, and chicken because of its ability to scratch itself backwards, kind of represent going back 
into the past year and you want to move forward into the new year. And so just a little yeah. couple fun facts. So there. don't eat chicken nuggets to, uh, to you know, tomorrow. I know that's going to be really hard. Well, I think once you hit the new year, you're good. It's just not doing it on New Year's Eve. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> you know, uh, so yeah, that's what we got there. So uh, we got a really fun topic today. Um, we're going to talk about the evolution of superhero movies and culture. Um, so it's going to be really fun. So let's go ahead and we'll jump into that here, here in a bit. Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman. All the world is waiting for you. So Dom, we got a, a pretty hefty topic here. We're going to talk about the evolution of superhero movies and culture. And so I'd like to start by talking about the first movies that kind of came out that had some significance, right? So the very first movie that was considered a superhero movie uh, was a movie called The Shadow Strikes, and it came out in 1937. And there were some other movies that came out, like right after that movie, um, other shadow movies. Uh, I think The Spirit had some movies. Uh, Dick Tracy, I think, had a couple movies during that time period in the early 30s and 40s. And what you kind of learn or kind of see is that a lot of the quote-unquote superhero movies during that time were like more like detectives that had like maybe like or looked at as having kind of supernatural powers because of their detective abilities you know they're such good detectives you know they solve crime essentially you know but yeah. they kind of still possess like that very human factor and kind of more or less represented like what authority looked like at that time you know not like superheroes what we think of now right not like not like superheroes it's more like I guess a quote unquote human hero. Yeah, like, exactly. I guess, like, uh, like they all wear suits. You know, they all Dick Tracy. Yeah, exactly. When you said that, I was already thinking of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and they were all kind of the same. They all kind of wore suits. They all solved crimes. You know, um, a lot of them used weapons at that time guns, pistols. Um, the only one that I know, I don't know too much about the spirit. Um, but I can tell you with the shadow, he had a movie. I want to say it was Alec Baldwin that was the shadow. I can't remember if I remember correctly. One of the Baldwins. And essentially, I want to say he did have an ability where he could, like, go into the shadows. Um, but I, I think that was the only thing that he could do. Um, but again, yeah, a lot of the early on superhero movies and superhero characters were very human, you know, versus being more godlike. And then, um, so the first movie to include, like, a modern-day heavy hitter that we know of today uh, was in 1951, Superman and the Moleman. Superman, the greatest superhero of all time? No, no. <laughs> calm, calm down with all that talk. <laughs> that, that's subjective, you know, to some. That could be the case. Uh, to others, there's a lot of other superheroes out there. And, and you know, so we could, we could discuss that at a later time. That's not the discussion of this conversation. That could be a whole topic in and of itself. Um, but, yeah, he had that movie. And, and at that time, I want to say, you know, Superman's powers really fluctuated. You know, when he first came out, he didn't have, like, these super godlike powers that he had now. Like, he was super human, but he wasn't, like, super god like he is. Like, he could, like, he could lift a, a large amount. He could, I don't think he could fly very well in the beginning. Like, they, Yeah, I think it, when I was researching, he was, he was just basically a super strong man. Like, iron, like, bullet would bounce off of him, and that's sort of right. the, up to, you know, like... He could ooh, run really fast. fast. He could run as fast as a locomotive. He could leap tall buildings, stuff like that, right? Yeah. 
And and I think it was because they really still wanted that character to be relatable to people. Um, but I think people really gravitated to the whole power thing. You know, they they really wanted to make them vigilantes versus fantasy characters, right? And so again, you know, from when Superman came out, they kind of that's when kind of superheroes started to evolve and go from being human to kind of having more of godlike personas. Like now they're like representations of humanity that are flawless and have, you know, high morals and things like that, right? And um but in society, they still were kind of looked at very niche. You know, people weren't really, you know, some, it was like, like for a while, comic books were kind of looked at like, well, this group likes them and that's cool. But, you know, the rest of us aren't really interested. Right. So then the first Batman movie that came out was the Batman movie. It's called Batman the movie and it came out in 1966. So that was the, um, I'm trying to remember his name. Oh, I was on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Not Adam West. Right? Adam West, Adam yes. <laughs> Adam, I, I, for some reason, I wanted to say Burt Ward. I was like, no, that was Robin. Uh, Adam West, yes. Adam West Batman. So uh, I personally didn't watch a lot of the Adam West Batman. Um, the closest thing I got to the Adam West Batman was like Super Friends because essentially that same, well, a variation of that Batmobile was kind of in that that show. Um and the, I guess his costume looks the closest to that one, but I really didn't watch that one too too much. The only reason I knew about him was because my dad. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, it was, it was obviously yeah. it was a super very popular show. Adam West was yeah. a very popular character, uh, actor at the time, so um, yeah. So I mean, so those were the, the early on movies, um, and again, you know, and that was a large period of time. So from 1937 to 1966, you know, they were all pretty much niche movies. You know, they weren't like. There were big movies, but at that time, movies weren't really like the blockbusters they are nowadays, right? And so superhero movies were even less than that. They were like a niche genre, right, for the most part. So then we kind of moved over to the 70s, right? Because of, after Batman the movie in 1966, there wasn't a theatrical American superhero movie for about 11 years. And so it wasn't until 1977 that there was an American superhero movie called Abar, the first black Superman. And and I came across this movie doing this research because I'm, you know, trying to figure out, okay, well, what was the first movies that came out? You know, what was the chronological order? And I saw okay. this movie and I was like, hmm, never heard of this movie before. So I looked that up and, you know, they have very little information and I understand why because the way it was created was very unorthodox. So essentially the story was created by this man named James Smalley and this other man, a screenwriter, uh, James Smalley was a pimp and he funded a lot of the movie and, um, private money. That's right. Private <laughs> money, <laughs> self-employment, money. self-employment. And, um, they filmed a lot of the movie in a whorehouse. Apparently were, were, were the employees, uh, or his employees in the movie partners. Uh, probably. Funny? I don't know that part. <laughs> But what I do know is that he eventually lost rights to the movie because the people he owed money to came back and they were like, he didn't have no money because he spent a lot of it on the movie. And so that's all he had to offer. But the premise of the movie essentially is if I could, I've only saw like this makeshift uh, trailer that somebody did on YouTube. And sent, but what I can tell is that this black family moves into this affluent, white affluent neighborhood. And this white lady comes up to the the family as they're moving in, and they're like, "Oh, what a what a beautiful group of family of servants." And they're like, "Oh, is Miss Kincaid here? I'd like to speak to the master of the house." 
And you know the 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 black lady, the wife, she's like, "Oh, I, I'm Miss Kincaid, and this is my husband, Doctor Kincaid." And the lady like flips out, and she's like, "You guys will never live here." And you know she starts doing all these racial slurs and all this stuff. And so the doctor, I guess he, I don't know what he's a doctor of, but he talks to this other guy who's like this decorated warrior, and he pretty much tells him like, "Hey, I'm gonna genetically modify you, make you a superhero, and you need to like essentially cancel and destroy racism." And he gives him like mind powers and super strength and it's it's pretty it's pretty silly but it's actually pretty interesting at the same time so if you guys have never heard of that movie i suggest you go on youtube check out the trailer it sort of uh, reminds me a little bit of dilomite dilomite that, was a, that movie i was telling you about eddie murphy yeah yeah <laughs> i guess maybe that was a popular thing at that time yeah so that that was a very really interesting movie the other interesting thing i found out is that in the 70s again there wasn't a lot of theatrical releases and so a lot of the superhero, I guess, movies and popular media that came out were all on TV. TV shows were, were was what kind of blossomed in the 70s. And so you had The Incredible Hulk, the Bruce Banner Incredible Hulk um, that came out in the 70s. Um, you had uh, Wonder Woman. And I found an interesting fact that the original, the original Wonder Woman was a different actress. It wasn't Linda Carter. Linda Carter didn't come around until the second season when they did an, an additional pilot. I guess the first Wonder Woman, they did a pilot with her and maybe it worked out, didn't. I guess they wanted to give it another shot the next year and that's when they got Linda Carter and she ended up doing the the, the, seri- uh, the serial show. Um, You also had The Six Million Dollar Man. That show came out. And then you had a couple shows that were a part of like these bigger super shows. I don't, I know you've seen them. Like we were talking about it like when we were young, it was like the Super Mario Brothers um, Super Super Hour or whatever, and they would have like um, Legend of Zelda cartoon on there, Mario Brothers cartoon, and the other cartoon, the guy that had like the uh, the power glove and he could do all these different things. So it was like a show like that, and and um, a couple of the superhero shows they had on there was they had a Captain Marvel Shazam show on there, which I didn't even know he had a show. Doctor wow. Strange had a movie show on there. Well, I didn't know that about Doctor Strange. Me neither. And then there was one called uh, Electric Woman and Dyna Girl. Um, so those are all very popular shows. They were on like those, like I said, those those uh, kind of super shows. <laughs> and then um, some additional movies that I didn't know about. They were like TV movies. Uh, Captain America had one, and Amazing Spider Man had one. Wow, I didn't know about Captain America. I actually sort of want to see that. I don't know if you do, bro. I don't know if you do. The, those it, made those TV made for TV movies back in the day were not. Well, maybe they're they're good for kicks and giggles, man. Wait, I was about to say that maybe they're so bad that it's good. Have you ever? Do you like watching movies like that? That movies that are so horrible, they're awesome. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I absolutely love them. I mean, Sharknado made a whole career off it. Now I'm not advocating that I necessarily well, I, watch I, Sharknado, but I'm just saying. Well, that's so I, I used to be that kid that would stay up late, and it was on. The USA Channel uh, on Friday night. I said yeah. where, where it was nothing but B movies. Straight to video. <laughs> yeah, and it would be Elvira or uh, Gilbert Gottfried was the host. Yes, I and, remember those. I remember those. And I used to stay up watching all those B movies. There, I think that's where I maybe where I've seen uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yeah, I mean they had. I mean they had so many great horrible movies. It was awesome. Yeah, there was a lot of bad movies, <laughs> especially in like the genre of horror and superheroes. There's a lot of bad, bad movies. Um, the other thing that kind of like blossomed in the seventies were like superhero cartoons. You had Birdman that was running really strong. 
Um, you had Dino Mutt, um, who was also with Blue Falcon. Uh, Super Friends was a really popular cartoon during that time. Flash Gordon was another one. Um, and so you started to see more media embracing the superhero genre, right? You still haven't gotten to the theatrical releases yet, right? Yet, right? For most of the 70s, I should say. But you're going more into the fantasy realm of the superheroes, and that's becoming more of an accepted genre. It's not kind of like, oh, we're just going to throw you over here with fantasy, which is like grouped up together with like D&D kind of stuff, Star Wars, everything like, everything just all in one, right? Now yeah. superhero stuff is kind of getting its own kind of genre. And where it kind of like really exploded, again, with your boy, the first blockbuster superhero movie, Superman. 1978 with Christopher Reeves. He'll always be Superman to me. Yeah, yeah, he was an awesome Superman, dude. And, and it's, you know, what's really mind boggling is that somebody was like, you know, doing the whole size comparison. Cause, you know, for me, I was like, man, I don't know if Christopher Reeves was ever big enough to be Superman, right? Yeah. But somebody broke it down and like, well, he's 6'3, I think he was 226. And then they said, well, this guy who you think is big enough is. You know, like I, I think Henry Cavill, I think they were like, he's 6'1 and 200 pounds or something like that, right? Like, essentially, yeah. what they were trying to say is like, no, he's big enough. Like, he just yeah. doesn't have that suit that adds on to the muscles to make him look even bigger. That dude was natural. He was just all natural, man. And in reality, he's actually pretty big. 6'3, 226, sort of, yeah. all muscles, pretty big. Yeah, sort of like the Hulk, uh, Lou Ferrigno. Lou Ferrigno, like another it. one. Uh, he didn't need no suit. He just needed green paint. That's all. That's all he needed, <laughs> in man. A wig. In a wig. Uh, and some English lessons. That's that was about no, it. bro. The Hulk. I don't think he ever spoke as a Hulk. I don't think he ever, ever spoke. As I don't a even Hulk. think he spoke as a normal. <laughs> so. But um, that superhero, that Superman movie was really good. Yeah. Um, it was an origin story about Superman and. Gene Hackman was Lex Luthor. He was the big baddie in that movie. And what I remember the most about that movie is, well, two scenes. One is when the helicopter, where I think it's Lois Lane is in, and she's falling out of the helicopter. He gets her, and then he grabs the helicopter. That scene is really cool. And then at the end, when he's, like, pissed off, because, spoiler alert, Lois dies, and he, like, goes back in time. <laughs> I'm going to reverse this He's going to reverse world. the earth. <laughs> Like screw repercut repercussions from my actions, and I'm just gonna reverse the earth. <laughs> and he reverses the earth, and he ends up saving every everything and everybody. But um, you know, it was cool though at the time because he was like, "Wow!" You know, the effects were really awesome, really badass. Um, but what it really signaled was like the start of the superhero blockbuster movie. Yeah. Right? Now at this point, it's pretty much singular to whatever story you're doing. You know, we haven't gotten to the continued continuity. Yeah, that wouldn't come until 50, 40, 50 years from now, right? So kind of moving from that point, now we're jumping into the 80s. So the 80s, obviously, with the success of Superman, the thing that came about in the 80s was the superhero blockbuster movie that blew up. You know, a bunch of them came out. So Superman 2, Superman 3, Superman 4. I know which one, I know which one was my favorite. We'll get to that. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm waiting. So we had those four that came out. Flash Gordon, the movie, came out. Swamp Thing, um, Supergirl, The Toxic Avenger, Howard the Duck, Masters of the Universe, 
RoboCop, those were all just the, to name a few of some of the blockbusters. And yes, there's another blockbuster that I'll name here in a minute, but I want to give it its own. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. So you said Superman. So you want to talk about what was your favorite Superman movie? Was there the first one, that original one with Christopher Reeves. The very, very first one. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it, I think it's more nostalgic, but I just remember as a kid, and I think maybe it's because of HBO, because uh, we, our parents had cable, but it just seems like HBO, oh, yeah, which you would show one, two, and like almost like on repeat. Yeah. So it was one of those movies as a kid growing mm. up where it would be on and I could sit, it didn't matter what part of the movie, Yeah. I, I would... I would watch it to the end and to me that's why i i you know i liked superman was just basically because of those movies right but then on top of that i mean he's my my brother is really into comics and superheroes and those things so you know his knowledge and characters and all that he's real mine is like i'm pretty simple dude i wasn't really into comics or i'm like batman superman like Okay, Thor, maybe like I mean that's as far as the, my as your knowledge su- my superhero knowledge went. So, but for me it was um with you know just the original Superman. It was just a just because all not just the first one. First one was my personal favorite, but one, two, and then the, you know the rest of them. But no, no, I, I mean, I, but what was your favorite Superman movie? You, you're telling me your favorite Superman actor. Well, mo- actor and and movie, uh, and movie. The, the first one. Yeah, okay, it, cool. like it's, it's, what's funny is, is I like that movie. It was just I, like I said, it's, I think it's because original. But my brother is always telling me, "Nah, the best Superman is uh, actually that Smallville, that show one." He goes, "He's the best Superman out of all of them." Okay, and so he sort of says the same thing where he was like, because we were talking, my brother, I was. Talking a little bit about this this week's topic, and mm-hmm. then he was like, "Well, let's." Where he sort of says, and I agree with him because I I've seen the, this show and I like it, uh, but I don't watch it all the time. But I watch episodes, especially when they do the crossovers. Mm-hmm. Is he goes, "How's the Flash movie gonna be? Is it because he goes the Flash show? He goes when I think of Flash, personally me and him too. He goes." I think of that. I don't even the know show. that. Yeah, yeah, I think I, think I don't know. Gus Gaston. Or yeah, yeah, I think of them. So if I see the movie, The Flash, and it's somebody else that doesn't do a good job, I'm like that movie was garbage. I already. It's sort of hard. Like, well, he's already been it, in the movie, but yeah. I understand what you're saying because when I saw him in the movie, I was like, okay, you know, I I per, honestly prefer the way that the CW version does it. Yeah. Right. Um, and they had a crossover. Where the movie version, Ezra Miller, yeah. came onto the mo- the show, like they had, because yeah. I guess you know Barry at the time was going through the multiverses, and he got to a point, and the other Flash got to that same point. And they were like, "Whoa, you're here. Who are you?" And they're like, "Oh, I'm Barry Allen. I'm Barry Allen too." And so, with you know the whole idea with the multiverse, I'm okay with them being different actors. The only problem is, is now, no matter how he tries to put it or paint it or whatever. There's a comparison. There's always going to be a comparison. Yeah. You know, and because the Flash, CW Flash is, to me, I like it as well. And I yeah. think it's very well done and I it's very popular, right? So it has a very strong fan base. And so if you're going to do a, a separate Flash, you know, you're going to have to do a, a good job. And that's the problem with DC. again, And we're going to get to this a little bit yeah. later because DC tries to do the continued continuity thing. But they don't do a good job. And there's many reasons why. Um, one of the things, reasons why, and I'll talk about it a little bit 
with the Marvel is one of the reasons why they're able to successfully do continued continuities because they use the same actor for every character in every media form, right? So call agent agent um Colston. Colston. Agent Colston. Look at me, man. I'm there no idea. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> this Colston. is rubbing off on me now. <laughs> Agent Colston is the same guy in the Marvel movies as he is in Agents of Shield. Yeah. So that helps a lot because that that's like okay, I don't have to be confused to think like, was well, Agents of Shield a part of the movie? No, it is because he's you know the same it. actor, yeah. right? And so you know, with DC, they didn't do that, and you know, that's that was kind of their thing. But early on in the '80s. You know, they really didn't have to. They were really running the gamut at that point. Marvel was still... Marvel was more niche-based than DC was because DC had Superman and Batman and Superman and Batman were like the the big-time superheroes. You know what I mean? Everybody knew who those people were. Well, I don't want to say everybody because... Even Wonder Woman was probably bigger than the Marvel yeah. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Wonder Woman was much bigger than Marvel at that point. <laughs> but superheroes were still not... The nowhere near the level they are today. No. Like they were still very much like only nerds really liked them. You know, for the most part, they weren't really widely accepted. You know, yeah, they have movies coming out. Like Superman had a bunch of movies coming out, but people looked at it like no different than like Star Wars. Oh, I'm gonna go watch it, and that's the end of it, right? You know, it wasn't like a thing where oh, I'm gonna go watch the movie. Then I'm gonna watch it again, and then I'm gonna go and buy the comic, and then I'm gonna go online and read the web series. It's not that's how it is nowadays, right? And we'll talk more <laughs> about that as we get to the future. But to close out the '80s, well, before that, I don't want to I don't want to jump into this particular subject just yet because it's it's gonna it's, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. But um, another big thing that happened in the '80s was this Saturday morning cartoon explosion. So a lot of these toy makers decided, you know what, we're gonna promote our toys through cartoons, right? And so you had Transformers come out, G.I. Joe come out, Thundercats, She-Ra, Jim, Silverhawks, and so on and so forth. He-Man. Inspector Gadget. Inspector Gadget, right? So you had all these different cartoons that Tom came Cats, out. Right? Thundercats, Tom Cats, right? Thundercats? No, Thundercats. Yeah, I say Tom Cats, I think, came out in the 90s. Thundercats, Mask was another one that came out in the 80s. Like, you had all these different cartoons that came out in the 80s. And I don't know about you, bro, but I remember getting up early and checking out the cartoons because I had to get up by 8. Uh, one in particular was the USA Express. Oh, the US. I was, uh, it was funny. My brother would watch that one. Uh, but I would watch it with him. But mine, I, I, was, I would also be up early. I was a Looney Tunes guy. Oh, the Looney Tunes. I, I, the Looney Tunes. That Saturday. That Saturday. <laughs> I know, man. I love Tom and Jerry. I've seen them all. No, no, no. Those yeah. are great too, man. But those are like, like yes. those come on before the ones I'm talking about. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> you waking up at five you, in the morning? Did, did you have your Did you have your bowl of cereal too, sitting there? Of course, there? dude. Of course. Frosted Flakes, just sitting there. Watching and watching my at the time, what would come on on USA Express was GoBots, GI Joe, Jim. Um, and then this this show where it wasn't Plastic Man, but it was a show about a guy who would transform into like a car. I don't remember what what the guy what the show was called, but it was a show about a guy who would transform into a car. But yeah, man, that was a big thing that popped up in the eighties. Before that, I don't I don't think that Saturday morning cartoons were a big thing. Like you know, cartoons came on either like as part of a another like variety show. You know, like Captain Kangaroo or something like well, that, or well, Sesame Street. Something. It's funny you say that because I think the uh, um, when I used to watch those obscure like kind of cartoons was uh, 
when I would watch the Bozo Show. There you Bozo go. Bozo Show, where they'd have, um, what's it called? Like Racer? Speed Racer. Speed Racer. Uh, Tarzan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they had a bunch of those ones. Yeah. And it was like, I always thought those, uh, I loved the Bozo Show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know you're, you're talking about, I, I used to watch the Hanna-Barbera Hour. And oh. they would play like the, um, the, the Jets- Herculoids. They would play Jetsons. Well, they had like several different types, right? So you had some where they would play like um, uh, Top Cat. They would play like um, what's it called? Um, what's the the one that talks? Uh, the one with the, the blue dog. Huckleberry. The Huckleberry. Uh, the was it the pink uh, one? Uh, stage I, left. Uh, yeah, I, I like Huckleberry. You make me mad, and then you, you just beat some up. <laughs> I don't know why that still sticks in my head. <laughs> so you had that, and then they had, but they had one where it was um, the the Herculoids, Birdman. I think Space Ghost was part of that group. And oh, Space Ghost, one. yeah. And so, like, yeah, so they would have like stuff like that was where they, a lot of the early cartoon shows was. And in the eighties, it was like they had like these Saturday morning blocks of just cartoons. You know what I mean? And they were like big time cartoons. They had a pretty pretty yeah. decent production, man. Um. But yeah, but to close out the 80s, there was a movie that was the probably the biggest superhero blockbuster up until that point, and that was Batman, 1989, Michael Keaton. He will always, Michael Keaton will always be Batman to me, bro. So yeah, so that made me think, okay, like <laughs> what do the people say? Do the people say, is that the best Batman of all time? Like, well, not the... Batman, but is that the best Batman movie of all time, right? And so, Piranha Tomatoes, this is who they have ranked as their top 13 Batman movies. And I'm going to go from 13 to 1. All I know is 89 better be number 1. So, number 13, (laughs) Batman and Robin. That was the one with um, Chris O'Donnell and uh, George Clooney. Uh, You got that high? That's the last (laughs) list. (laughs) Number 12, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. That's the one with uh, what Batman ben, Superman. Is that the one with Ben, ben Affleck? Yeah, Batman. Ben, ben, you know my feelings about that. <laughs> Number eleven, Batman Forever. That was the Val Kilmer one. Number ten, Batman: The Killing Joke. That was a animated movie, and that one's pretty good. It's based off the the um, the novel. Number nine, Justice League. Here's where your heart's gonna get broken. Number eight, Batman. The 1989. Wow. Number seven, Batman the Movie, 1966. (laughs) Number six, Batman Returns. Number five, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. That's another animated movie that that had Kevin Conroy as the Batman. Number four, Batman Begins. Number three, the Dark Knight Rises. Number two. Wait, Dark Knight Rises, is that the... That's the one with, with Bane. Bane? That's the one with Bane. He talks all stupid like this. It's so high. He's third. <laughs> Personally, I think that one is so high. And, and I don't know. I, I'm assuming... I don't really know how they do their rankings. I'm assuming that one's really high because a lot of people had a, high, a lot of high anticipation after The Dark Knight. And a lot of people wanted to go watch it. That's, that's my best guess. Number two... Lego Batman and number one, The Dark Knight. And that's the one with Heath Ledger as the Joker. So that's that's the list by Rotten Tomatoes. Here is my personal all time, well, I won't say all yeah, all time top twenty Batman movie list. Number one, 
Batman, 1989, Michael Keaton. That's the first one I saw. And to me, you know, there's there's certain people that for me will always be Batman, no matter what roles they play, right? One is Kevin Conroy, of course. Of course, he does the voice to a lot of the animated Batman versions. The other one is Michael Keaton. You know, when Michael Keaton as Batman and Bruce Wayne, to me, was fantastic. You know, and... and we, I could, it, he was so good that you could put this put aside that he was five and nine and a buck what fifty. He was like, yeah. but you know what I mean. But he 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 carried the persona of Batman so well that it was like, man, this guy is Batman. I believe it. Um, and and they had so many cool things about him. The suit was really badass. He had the, the one of the best cars. Um, the gadgets. He had all the gadgets. Um. He fought the Joker in part one, the Penguin in part two. Um, he had, like, loved both of his movies. Oh, part two, he also had Catwoman. Um, but overall, like, phenomenal movie for me. Yeah. I had a lot of nostalgia based on it. Um, but it's a movie that I could go back and watch again. Many, also, many, many Prince's Song. Prince's Song is in there. That's yeah. right. And, and I didn't even mention Jack Nicholson's Joker, who was uh, phenomenal, phenomenal in that movie. Um, number two, The Dark Knight. You know, and mainly for that one, Heath Ledger, he's he's phenomenal. He's awesome in that movie. He's a fantastic yeah. Joker. He's the kind of he acts the way Joker I feel like should be. You know, sadistic, off the wall, but cunning and smart at the same time. Number three, Batman Returns. Shoot, after Batman Michael Keaton came out, I heard that there was gonna be a sequel. You best believe I was very excited to see it come out. And I remember going to the theater and watching that and, and oh man, just seeing the, because that was the first time you see a superhero movie and the spectacle of it, right? Yeah. You, you had a lot of fantasy in it, you know, the way that uh, Tim Burton kind of did the movie, you know, where the Penguin and all his bad guys, you know, he very much embodied the comic book version of the of the, of the character. And um, I love that movie. That, was, that movie is really, really, you know, I liked it a lot. Uh, number four for me was Batman Begins. Um, mainly, and and the reason why I like Batman Begins is, um, I didn't hate the the Nolan trilogy. I just don't think it's as good as I think a lot of people try to make it to be. I think there's yeah. a lot of good parts about it. Um, like I said, the Dark Knight I thought was really well done. I just I guess for me like Christian Bale isn't isn't as good a Batman. I feel like as a lot of people think he is and, I, and a lot of yeah. it i think has to be with mainly his choice of of acting as the character you know as his like the voice of the batman character gets more ridiculous per each movie i'm batman right it has to be just i mean yeah. I, I don't mind a little bit of the guttural sound but you yeah. know just being real subtle to say i'm batman it's always, cool too you know what i mean i always think of the neighbors with seth rogan and zach Efron. <laughs> I'm Batman. No, I'm Batman. Yeah. No, I'm Batman. No, I'm Batman. <laughs> but, but the thing is, it's like the Christian Bale version, he's yeah. like yelling it. He's like, I'm Batman. He's like, God dang, dude. Okay, you're Batman. He's not wearing hockey pads. And so for me, like that's why I'm surprised that Dark Knight Rises is so high on the Rotten Tomatoes list because for me, what makes that movie so bad is the ridiculousness of their voices. You know, it's like so exaggerated. Both of their voices are so exaggerated. There was a point in the movie where they're like going back and forth, and I closed my eyes just and just so I could 
remove all the action and, and everything that was going on just to hear. And it sounded so hilarious. Because it sounded like two cartoon characters. It sounded like a parody of Batman yelling at a parody of Bane. And, and so it sounded really ridiculous. So, But Batman Begins, I thought, was very well done. You got to see the origin of Batman, something that you didn't get to really see before. You know, the Michael Keaton Batman, they didn't really, they kind of picked up where he was already Batman. So you kind of got to see, like, his training, where, you know, who trained him, how he got his training, what happened to him. A little bit more in depth in that movie. And you got to see Batman kind of start off. And that was a really cool um, experience to see. Um, for me, number five was Batman, uh, Mask of the Phantasm. And again, Kevin Conroy, that was the mm. first movie that he did. And so. I thought it was really well done. It's a really cool story as well. Um, just a spoiler alert. Pretty much yeah. what the premise is, uh, Bruce's first love. I forget what happens while they split up. I think she thought that she died. Uh, and I think mm -hmm. she felt like, if I'm remembering correctly, she felt that he abandoned her or something along those lines. And so she was going to get revenge on him. And so she comes back to the city, essentially like doing his job for him so he can like chase her. And so then she could reveal herself to be, you know, that person and then take revenge out on him. Uh, but it's really yeah. well done because she takes on like a persona of the mask of the phantasm. And so yeah. for the whole movie, you don't know it's a woman for the first, first of all, unless you, you don't even know it's her. And so I would suggest you guys check it out. It's, it's an old school movie, came out in the 90s, um, but it's a really cool, interesting movie. Uh, number seven for me was Batman, The Killing Joke. Um, again, that was, it's a really cool rendition of the, of the, graphic novel um so i suggest you guys check that one out and then for me i have more animated movies on mine because a lot of the animated movies are pretty well done it's because they yeah. take a lot of those stories and and they um they're able to add a lot of the the elements that maybe a little bit maybe a, a little bit more too expensive for a live action movie um but you know more easily capable yeah. to be done in the cartoon uh so for me number eight batman under the red hood but what's cool about that one is it takes the story about uh jason todd for those of you guys that don't know, Jason Todd was the second Batman, uh, the second Robin, Robin, excuse me. Yeah. And he was captured by the Joker and beaten to death. Or, you know, he was beaten to death. He was beaten to death. And he was captured, I believe, by the um, League of Assassins, and they brought him back to life. And bringing him back to life, he was a little bit sadi more sadistic, psychotic. And so he took on the mission of, oh, I'm going to kill criminals, you know, to make Gotham safe. But at the same time, he was doing it to bait Batman. He wanted to really take out Batman. So that one's really cool. Check it out. It's a pretty cool animated movie. Uh, number nine for me is Lego Batman. I really like Lego Batman. You know, it's a really cool comedic take on the Batman character. Um, there's a part where he drives up to the orphanage. <laughs> and he gives them his donation. They're like, are you going to come by and, and take the orphans there? And he's like, oh, I'm too busy. And he leaves. And he, you know, it's kind of like showing how, like, this Batman is supposed to be like, he's like more self-absorbed, in other words. Like, he's very like all about his fame and stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's a cool, cool story about uh, that Batman and kind of like him finding himself and realizing that, you know, it's okay to, to get help from other people and all that. Number, for me, number 10, Batman Assault on Arkham. That was a cool Batman series or cartoon because it was the first one that I saw with the Suicide Squad. Oh, Okay. And so they got the Suicide Squad, and there's a scene in there where one of the characters is like, so what happens if we refuse? And Amanda Waller pretty much tells him, well, go ahead and walk out that door then. And he walks out the door, and he starts beeping, and his head explodes. And he's like, does anybody else have any questions? 
And they're like, nope. <laughs> um, but what's cool is that Batman is going through Arkham trying to find, I forgot what he was, I think he was trying to find the Joker because the Joker got loose. And, um, you know, they're out there trying to do their own mission. But that one's a really cool movie to check out. Uh, number 11, this is a tie. This one is The Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and Part 2. And this is pretty much what the Batman vs. Superman movie was kind of about. You know, where you have Batman, he had already been retired. Um, essentially, the superheroes of the United States decided, like, hey, we're not going to practice um, anymore. We're not going to practice fight, fighting crime anymore. And so, um, you know, the, the U.S. government's like, all right, cool. You know, as long as y'all stay hitting away and don't do anything, we're not going to we're not going to bother you guys. Um, and, but the only superhero they did keep around was Superman. Um, but Batman came back. Um, he just because he wanted to take care of some problems that were happening in Gotham. Superman tried to threaten him on behest of the government, and Batman. That's when Batman comes up with a plan to take out Superman, and he pretty much takes out Superman. He pretty much, you know, sets up like a gauntlet where him and Superman are gonna battle. You know, he creates this armor, and he has with the help of Green Arrow, who has a arrow that has Kryptonite at the end of it. You know, he's able to defeat Superman, or at least make Superman understand that he can't be defeated, right, to make him back off. Mm. And then he, um, spoiler alert, has a heart attack, quote-unquote, and I'll leave it at that. So if you want to know more about it, because there's some more that happens after that, check out that movie. It's pretty cool. Um, for number 12, I tell you, I got a lot of animated movies on here. For number 12, I have Son of Batman. So that's where you get introduced to Damian Wayne, who is the son of Batman. And you kind of see Batman trying to adjust to having a son and caring for a son and, and all that dynamic. Number 13 is Batman Bad Blood. And that's where Batman goes missing and Robin, Dick Grayson, takes up the Batmantle. So that was a pretty cool one. And Damian Wayne plays his Robin. And so you kind of you know, get the dynamic of the two brothers in a sense. You know what? I, I sort of like Robin. I've always found him. Well, both of them. I, I do. I like them because they're both different. Um, but if I had to pick one, I like Todd more just because he's a little bit more ruthless. Yeah. And But I, I just like how their characters are. <clears throat> and... I, I don't think they get the love they deserve. But. Robin is underrated. Um, I think a lot of people look at Robin as just merely a sidekick. He's not. Yeah. And and it's been proven simply because there's there's been there's four total Robins, right? I think there's actually more, but there's four like main main continuity Robins. First one is Dick Grayson. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. Well, Dick Grayson, after being Robin, became a superhero on his own, right? Becoming Nightwing. Nightwing. Yeah. And then you had. Jason Todd. Well, Jason Todd became a superhero in his own right, becoming the Red Hood. Then you had, um, I'm trying to think of the, the third one, Tim, Tim, uh, Tim Drake. Tim Drake. Mm-hmm. I, didn't have, I didn't have to look it up. It just took me some time. <laughs> Tim Drake was a third one, and he ends up becoming a superhero, uh, a, a superhero in his own right, called Red Robin. And to be honest, Batman has said that out of all of them, that guy, Tim Drake, is going to be the best detective out of all of them. The Red Robin? The Red Robin. And I also hear he makes a great hamburger. He makes an awesome hamburger. And then the, the latest Robin, who's probably the most skilled at fighting in particular, is uh, Damian Wayne, his son. And so Robin is a cool character, man. Like, yeah. yes, he is a sidekick, but 
the way Batman has kind of transformed himself and his team and his, I guess his dynamic, his hierarchy, like he's gone away from the duo, him and somebody else to now a team. Now he has a team. Yeah. It's sort of funny. I've never seen really, I see, I know he's a sidekick, but I always see him more as like a protege. That's really what it is. Yeah. It's more of a protege. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I always liked Robin. No, Robin. Yeah, especially cool. uh, with the, what's the, the DC show. Um, that Batman the animated series. No, the Justice uh, League. Unlimited. Yeah, yeah, the Justice. Yeah. It, I think he had a little bit. Well, they also had a show. Uh, it was like a sequel to the Batman the animated. Series. Well, Batman the animated series. They had a couple episodes with Robin. Um, there was one cool one where everybody was getting envelopes. Um, from the, but they didn't know at the time it was from the scarecrow, and essentially the scarecrow was poisoning mm-hmm. them with fear toxin, and Robin was one of them, and so he had this fear of heights, and so it was like the whole episode he was trying to get over that, uh, but it was a pretty cool episode, um, and then they had a, a sequel series called Batman and Robin Adventures, I think it was called, um, that he was on, and so no, Robin's a really cool character, um, so number seventeen for me is Batman Ninja. Uh, cool animated version of the Batman mythos. Oh, I'm sorry. I went from 13 to 17. My bad. <laughs> so after 13, for number 14 is Justice League. Number 15 is Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Number 16 for me was Batman Forever. Number 17 is Batman Ninja. And then number 18, I put these two movies here because I honestly didn't see them. Um, but I don't want to put them at the end. Um so I have them here. <laughs> so 18, I have uh, Batman 66, which is the Batman 1966 movie, and Batman Hush, which was another animated movie that came out. And the two last movies that I got, and that's because I have seen them, and they absolutely, for me, were not very good at all, was number 19, The Dark Knight Rises, which I've already mentioned why I don't like them, and number 20, Batman and Robin, because it's pretty gutter trash. So that's my top 20 list, man. And, um, you know, if you guys... Have your own list, by all means, hit us up at the fishbowlbodio at gmail.com or hit us up at our Twitter at a Bodio Fishbowl and uh, let us know what your list, your top list or Batman movie list is or let us know what your favorite superhero is. So, yeah. So, from there, we move on to the 90s. 